welcome to The Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today's text is Galatians chapter 4. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain." Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. This is the word of the Lord. 
Paul picks up right where he left off in chapter 3, this conversation about the guardian. And I told you we'd leave it for today. So here it is. Essentially, the wealthier people in this culture, this time where Paul is writing, the wealthier men would, well, they'd abdicate a lot of fatherly responsibility in the raising of their children, not unlike what we do today. And in doing so, the way that they went about raising their, their sons then was they would hire a guardian. They would either pay for this or they would have a servant in their household who was then part of their house who would do this. And this man was tasked with teaching the child, the son, everything that he needed to know, the basics of life, the law, uh, his father's business and how to run it someday. And he would have to manage all of this on behalf of the father. Now, the father would have set a date, a point in time at which the son would inherit, at which the son would take over running the family's business. Now, that doesn't have to be dad's death, although it may have been in some cases, as we would consider this then almost like a a last will and testament. But it could have been a specific age, maybe when the son hits 30. That was a respectable age in their community at the time. Or maybe when the father hit a certain age, like when the father hits 50. There's, for example, the idea in the Old Testament that Levitical uh, servants of the Lord's house would retire at the age of 50. So there's, there's certainly different possibilities here, but the point being is the guardian raised the child until he was of a specific time that the father had appointed, and at that time, the guardian was no longer the guardian. The son's in charge. The son takes over. The son now shows that ownership of the house. And that's what we see here in today's first paragraph. So the heir... No, he's no longer, as long as he is a child, isn't different from a slave. So he might own it all, but he's treated just like the slave in the house. He doesn't have the authority. He doesn't have the, the control over things. He's just a kid. So he's under a guardian until that time when it, it, it's been appointed by the father. So Paul then says in the same way, we, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. Elementary principles in Greek, stoicheia, uh, fundamental things, or even the idea of the alphabet, like learning your letters, very much connects again to the guardian teaching the, the son the very fundamental things. And so we focused on, we learned in our, in our time when we were just children, And this is actually a reference to the Old Testament. This is a reference to prior to Christ coming. We learn the basic things of this world. We learn the instruction of God in Genesis 1, that we should be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. We learned the basics of the law, as we read from the Torah. We would hear of Moses giving the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. That's a prominent example. But really, anything in those first five books, these are going to be the kinds of of patterns. We were enslaved to that. Ultimately, he's referring to the law. We were enslaved to the law. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So, came underneath that curse that we were in. This is the curse language from chapter 3 yesterday. To redeem those who were under the law, we might receive adoption as sons. 
so the appointed time of the Father is when Jesus came into this world. Takes on flesh, he's incarnate, God becomes man, typically celebrated on March 25th. Born, typically celebrated on Christmas, uh, December 25th. It's actually historically the church picked the March 25th date first and based December 25th on it. Um, that's not what you hear from the pagan world around us. It says we celebrate Christmas to cover up a winter solstice of the pagans. No, that's not the case. Anyway, um, so March 25th, December 25th, key dates that we celebrate and rejoice that God became a man and then that he was born of the Virgin Mary. And he did this in Matthew chapter 1 that he might save his people from their sins. And so we talk about Good Friday. We talk about Easter when Jesus died, when he rose again. This is the appointed time of the Father. Jesus took all of our sins, all of our failure, all of the inability to keep the law. He took it all upon himself, upon the cross, crucified, died, and was buried for you, for me. And now, because Christ is risen, we are going to be raised as well. We are new creations in Jesus Christ. And while it's not to say that the law is suddenly bad, we're no longer under it. Look, you shall not murder. This is well and good, right? I mean, the world is better if we don't murder each other. And as Jesus elaborates on that commandment and includes hatred and insults and things like that, the world's better for it. We are to love one another. This is what Jesus tells us to do. Love God, love your neighbor. But we're not under the law anymore. As in attempting to grow by it, attempting to be perfected by it, as yesterday's chapter discussed, attempting to be saved by it. It can't accomplish these things. Again, law is not bad. It's still from the Lord, but that's not the purpose. It raised us, it guided us until we see Christ. And now we live in Christ. Now, you might ask your children, when did you become a son? When did you become a daughter of God? For most Christians, this happens in baptism. Most of us in the Lutheran church body, although not all, right? There are those who become Christian after hearing the good news. After somebody shares Jesus with them, they might be they might be a child as a friend at school who talked to them. It could be that as an adult that you have come to know Jesus Christ because, again, the Spirit worked through someone in your life to preach and proclaim the good news. So this is how we become sons of God. And now the Spirit cries out from within us. Notice the Spirit is in us, in our hearts causing us to cry out, Abba, which is Aramaic for Father, and then Father in the Greek text there. So Lord's Prayer comes to mind. Our Father who art in heaven, we're taught to pray. We're taught to trust in God above all things. We're not slaves anymore, but heirs. We're sons. We're heirs of God. The kingdom is ours. And we get to live there forever. And this is good news. So as we come to the next section, Paul is now expressing his concern, again, that they are are putting behind the faith that they've been entrusted. This was the very first chapter that he accuses them 
of, of so quickly deserting the gospel for another, another message that is not so good. So when, you were, when we did not know God in the past, formerly, we were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. So the world, our sinful flesh, uh, the, the things that tempt us, the things that drive us, whatever it might be, we all have our idols that we struggle with even as Christians. But now that you've come to know God or rather be known by God, which is the, the, the idea again that Christ would be in us, the Spirit would be in us, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world to be slaves once again? Now, this is a reference back to the law. This is what Paul is attacking in this letter. The Judaizers who have come into Galatia and have tried to convince them that if they don't keep the law, they're not of God. And so that's why in verse 10 here he mentions days, months, seasons, and years. You have to celebrate Sabbath days. You have to celebrate the new, mo- mon- new moon, new month festivals. You have to keep the Sabbath year. You have to do this, that, and the other thing. And we don't. To insist on having to do those things for salvation is false. It's wrong. And it destroys faith. And that's what Paul's getting at. You're enslaving yourselves again. You're free. I entreat you, become as I am, for I also become as you are. That is free. Then he talks about, he recalls his time with them, essentially some kind of bodily ailment. We're not told specifics ever in scripture on this, but that he he had to stay in Galatia longer, basically. So he preached the gospel because of this bodily ailment. He got to teach these Christians because he was stuck there for a while. Now, again, we don't know what this is. The, the next argument Paul makes is that they would have if they could, gouged out their eyes and given them to him, has led many commentators to believe that his ailment was some kind of eye problem, that he had trouble with sight. And this would connect to his conversion, that when he is baptized by Ananias, something like scales fall from his eyes, that he had been blinded by Jesus on the road to Damascus. That would mean that Jesus' healing of him in his baptism left a remnant of, as a reminder to Paul of his previous way of life that could then become the thorn of flesh that Paul says that he asked the Lord to remove, but the Lord refused, saying that it was in his weakness that the Lord is seen as strong, that Paul would learn to rely not on his own strength, his own ability, but truly to trust in God above all things. He warns them that the enemy here is not him, He's simply telling them the truth. The enemy is the one who is trying to lead them astray from the gospel that they've already heard, the gospel that James and Peter and John have all approved back in Jerusalem. They make much of you, so they're stroking your egos. They're they're stirring up your pride. They're getting you to think a lot about yourself. They're showing you all this attention, but it's not for good purpose. What they're doing is, the next sentence, they want to shut you out. They want to make you slaves again. Why? That you would make much of them. Because by being slaves to the law, you're going to not boast in yourself because you failed all that stuff. You haven't even been circumcised. But they have. And you're going to look at them as these great pillars of the faith, and you're going to honor them and esteem them. You're going to lift them up and boast about how great they are. This is what Paul is observing, and he's warning them against. 
he refers to it like childbirth, and he, he labored to give birth to this church, and it is, you know, he's waiting for, for seeing Christ in them. He wants to change his tone. This is an angry letter. You can feel free to read Galatians with your angry voice, um, and, and it fits. Because he's perplexed, he doesn't understand why they would so quickly give up the gospel, the good news of Jesus. The rest of our text today is the story of Hagar and Sarah from Abraham's life. And this I would tell you to let your children, give them the opportunity to recall Abraham in the Old Testament and tell you the story of Abraham as much as they can, in as much detail as they can. That could be really fun if they really know a lot um, to see how they, they just share scripture with you, how they tell you God's word. That could be fantastic. And even if they only know a little, that's that's still okay. It's good. They're still going to say God's word to you, and it gives you the opportunity to explore it together in the Old Testament and to grow in that. Uh, and, and you're modeling the opportunity to share their faith. So this is good. Now, what's going on here? We have Hagar, the slave woman. This is Genesis chapter 12 and onward. Really, 16 is where we're at here with this particular statement. But God had promised that Abraham would have a son, and that by this son, from his own flesh, he would become a great nation, and that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through his offspring. We talked about that yesterday as Jesus, singular offspring. But now, well, much time has passed. He's 85, 86 years old in chapter 16. Sarah, Sarai, is 74, 75 years old at the time, and there's no kid. She's past, past the bearing of children. Just not like, not going to happen. Not even possible anymore. The way of women is no longer with her. So they see this. They stop trusting that God will keep his promise and decide they have to take matters into their own hands. So Sarah takes her servant, servant girl from Egypt, gives her to Abraham as a wife to have a son by her. And that son's name is Ishmael. And Ishmael is born, Ishmael will grow up, but he's not the one. The Lord will continue to keep his promise. He gives Abram and Sarai, Abraham and Sarah, a son in their old age, born when Abraham is a hundred years old. And Sarah is either 89 or 90. Born to them, Isaac. And they didn't trust that promise. Genesis 17 and 18, they, they both laughed at God over this. That's why the boys named he laughed as a reminder of that, as a reminder of their sin. So circle back. Paul's point. It's written Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free. Slave woman. Yes, technically Hagar was a slave, slave of Sarah. But he's getting at this allegorically, as he says in verse 24, that she represents a whole different covenant. The birth of Ishmael via Hagar is about trying to do things on our own, trying to save ourselves, trying to keep the law for salvation. God made a promise, but they couldn't trust the promise they had to do it themselves. Slavery. Slavery to the law, slavery to the elemental principles of this world. Women that old can't have kids. That's fundamental, right? Sarah represents a different covenant. Sarah represents a promise that even though it doesn't make sense, it was given. Sarah was too old. She was beyond age. 
It was given. It's a gift. And that's what we're seeing is the point really going on here. A couple notes on it. Verse 25, that Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. Mount Sinai is not in Arabia. Mount Sinai is in the Sinai Peninsula, southwest of Israel, as you head towards Egypt. And it is part of where, again, she's heading home as she headed that direction as she fled from Abraham. But Arabia is where her children will settle, Ishmael and his descendants after him. So it's, it's interesting to see those pieces connected uh, by what Paul says there. The Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. That's referring now to the almost the Revelation New Jerusalem kind of language, the heavenly city that will come down out of heaven from God, which is actually a reference to the church. We're free. The quote in verse 27 is from Isaiah chapter 54, verse 1. Rejoice, O barren one. It appeared the church had been cut off. It appeared things were over for Israel. And yet, break forth, cry aloud, for the children of the desolate one, Israel, will be more than those of the one who has a husband. A reference to to nations that seem to be okay. God will prosper and provide for his people. So, prophecy of restoration from the book of Isaiah. It doesn't make sense. Barren ones don't bear. Desolate ones don't outbear married women. The Lord provides. It's a gift. So it is with our salvation. That's really the point. We don't earn it. We can't achieve it. It's given. It's a gift. Brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. You are a child of the promise. He who was at the time born according to the flesh persecuted him born of the spirit. It's Genesis 21 verse 9, Ishmael persecuting Isaac. So it is now. The Jews are persecuting the Gentiles. The Judaizers are persecuting the Galatians. Trying to convince them to return to slavery. So scripture says cast out the slave woman. So it would be Genesis 21 verse 10. It's a reference to the idea that we don't put up with false teachers. We correct them. We warn them. If they won't listen, eventually we cast them out. We have nothing to do with them. So Paul's warning to the church in Galatia, he teaches them how the gospel comes, how salvation comes by faith, through the Spirit's work, through Christ. These attempts to return to the law and slavery, these will only kill. 